Hey, podcast listeners, I want to welcome you to this special edition of the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast. This is the fourth and the final episode of the course on how to start small groups. These episodes will be one portion of the resources available to help start, restart, or re-energize your small group ministry. I've really enjoyed interacting with you on the Teachable platform and hearing about your challenges and the great small group ministries you already have. In this last episode, I have with me my friend, my colleague, uh, the energetic, the ping-pong apprentice, the church planter extraordinaire, Rachel Gilmore. <laughs> How was that for an introduction, Rachel? <laughs> Very impressive, especially the ping-pong part. That has been a new development in my repertoire. We all are learning new things every day, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's well, great to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. You have a long title, like myself. I'll, I'll say your title, Director of Recruiting assessing and teaching, I'm sorry, and training church planting. Yes. That's impressive. Right? But we've abbreviated it in the Path One Church Planting Office, and they call me the rat because <laughs> I'm in charge of recruiting, assessing, and training. So that's good. Well, I won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. It's out there. Rachel the rat on staff. So right. Yeah. No, so I'll let you introduce yourself a little more. Tell us a little mm-hmm. more about who you are, what you've done, and your ministry to this point. Sure. Well, I am, let's see, I was born in California. I'm a Navy brat, so I've lived, um, I think, in like 16 different states in three countries. Um, Met my husband in college, and then we joined the Peace Corps, and we're in Eastern Europe for a few years, and went to Duke Divinity School when we got back from the Peace Corps. And right out of Duke, I was appointed in the Virginia Conference, where I'm now an elder, to plant a church right out of seminary wow. in Virginia Beach. So a little daunting. I'd never been assessed. So it's kind of fun to be in the recruitment and assessment thing because I was not, I guess I was recruited. I was just told that I would be appointed <laughs> there, not assessed in any way. My training came after the appointment. Um, but I'm excited to be here and talk about small groups because not really knowing how to start a church or having really been prepared for it, the gathering, which is the church I planted 10 okay. years ago, started out of small groups. So there was one small group at a large church. They had like 10 people. And I said, listen, if we want to start a church, what we got to do is kind of break things up. So we took two or three people out of those 10 and started four small groups out of the one. And then when each of those four small groups over just a matter of months became groups of 10 to 15 people each, we knew we were ready to start preparing for worship. So before the gathering had a Sunday morning worship service. We had discipleship. That is what birthed this faith community. So very cool. It's and, important. Uh, amen. <laughs> and I like that you did this by not by expanding the ten, but by multiplying them into smaller groups. And that's through the subtitle of this is um, growing larger by acting smaller. Yes. Right. And I, and I do huge. think that's helpful to think about because too often in church work, especially, it's. How many do you have doing this? How many, how many, you know, how big is it? Yeah. Is it getting bigger? Have you reached capacity? Is your small group now 40 people and it's got to divide into two so that they can become 40? That's one approach. But um, I found that, especially in terms of starting something new in a congregation or starting a new church plant, relationships are so important and crucial. And you just Mm -hmm. can't form relationships in groups that are larger um, than 10 to 12 people. Yeah. No, very true. And that has... Lots of implications, and some of which we'll get to now. So let's start with our first topic. We've got lots to, to get to, and I'm excited about all of them. But the first topic is 
in home versus at church small groups. So let's talk briefly about the pros and cons to each of these, and we'll just kind of yeah. ping pong this back and forth. Uh, see how you said anyway. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I like about that in in home is that it has a more informal fear, more casual. There isn't mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, for some people, this daunting task of going into a, a church. Yeah, it can feel more relaxed, especially if they're new to church or a faith community. They're much more likely to show up at a friend's house for a small group than to walk in the doors of the church and try to figure out where the room is and where the bathroom is. And, you know, they keep looking at the clock. So definitely you have more warmth at home. Very true. And there's been, I was at a church recently leading a Sunday school class and just the directions to get to that room was rather comical. (laughs) And that's true for a lot of campuses, right? Is, you know, go past the water fountain, go past the children's wing, go up the stairs, go past the laundry room or whatnot, you know, um, to get there. So yeah, this, this, that institutional feel, Mm -hmm. right, is, is, yeah, that can be really important. Um, You know, one of the other things I like about in-home groups is you don't have to worry about getting in the building, right? Like what happens if someone didn't open the door? Right, this comes from someone who lived next yes. door to the church, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you'd always be bothered. And, oh, yeah. Well, and as a church planter, one of the stories that people still remember, because we didn't have a building, right? But there were four churches in town that said, well, you can come and meet there because we had larger groups coming. Mm. There's a variety of different reasons that we selected churches. But one time I showed up and the, the whole church was locked. And I'm like, I'm not the pastor. I don't have a key. What do I do? But right. a window was open. And so it was a small nice. group on the underground church. And I'm like, I feel like we're living this out. I'm breaking into this church. <laughs> I mean, I texted the pastor and the head of trustees the okay. to let them know what I was doing. But I was like, well, your church isn't very secure. I did a security check for you. And now we're inside <laughs> meeting because it was freezing outside and there were children. So, um, so, yeah, those are challenges, trying to meet in a church building. And then just the cost, right, of utilities, the electric bill yep. and water when you're heating a whole church for a one group to meet for one hour yeah. on one day. And I don't want to bypass this without saying there aren't times for being in a church, right? I think especially for what I would term catechesis classes, right? When we're doing something more formal, I think that can be a, a that adds to the setting and the environment, is we're doing something a little different. There is a little more formal aspect to this. Um, I think that is one positive a church has. So I don't want to dismiss oh, no. at church Oh, yeah, absolutely. Groups. We loved, so at the gathering, you know, we started with that one group that became four, and then discipleship was always key for us. So we developed a system early on that had three different tiers. So tier three is where everyone um, kind of entered mm. the conversation, and that was stuff that was in the community, actually. So small groups that met in public spaces. Mm. So we, you know, had discussion groups about God and faith in coffee shops and in bars. And we had a softball team in the community that would gather after every game and talk. And it was a way to just draw people in in our neighborhood so that they realized that there is a new church forming and that these are people that are relatable. So so we had lots of, you know, groups going on at that level, but then tier two was typically in a church. And those were the catechesis type courses, the financial piece, or we're all okay. going to, yeah. we're doing a sermon series on the book of John. So everyone show up and we're going to read through this together. Oh. So it is great for accommodating larger groups. Or, you know, if you're new to a church and you don't really know anyone else, you're much more comfortable going to a church as opposed to someone's home that's a stranger. That's like, true. what if it's the right place or not? You know, what if their house is cluttered or they have dogs and I'm allergic or whatever. So so in that sense, um, meeting in churches was a benefit for us. And then our tier one were our accountability groups, 
which typically met in homes, and life groups, which were, you know, community-based larger groups um, that were in homes as well. So it was a good system for us. Yeah, and I want to draw a connection for our listeners who, in in session three of this, uh, one of the worksheets talked about grace groups that had those, you know, to help think about where are we reaching people in terms of those who are in the prevenient grace stage? Yes. What are we offering for those in the justifying stage and those who are in the sanctifying grace phase? Right. And that sounds like exactly what you're talking about. You just had a different yeah. language for it, which is fine, right? Because not everyone is a nerd like me and knows <laughs> <laughs> those terms. And yeah. Know your context. <laughs> know your context. Yeah. And so you you mentioned this. One of the issues that comes with having in um, in home groups then becomes, what do we do with the kids? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Huge. Because I had two young children when I started the church, um, there were some Sundays where we had more kids than adults in worship. So that was always a huge issue for us. We loved having small groups in homes because of all the things that we discussed. But when you have children, you've got to think strategically. And so we created this actual form that if someone wanted to host a group in their home, they filled out ahead of time so that our kids minister could look it over. And you know, it would be things like, do you have outlets on all or plugs on all your electrical outlets? Are all of your bookshelves and cabinets secured to the wall with hooks? Um, do you have we? I ministered in a heavily military community, so okay. we had to ask: Do you have guns in the home? Are they locked up? Do you have pets? Where do you envision the kids staying? Do you have a fence or a pool in the backyard or a trampoline? Just to make sure that we knew what the environment would be like, so that we could prepare our staff accordingly. So we would always send in. Again, safe sanctuaries, right? You needed at least, you know, two unrelated adults to kind of be in the home. If it was a small group that only had like two or three kids, then they would meet downstairs where all the doors were open and we would have a volunteer kind of Uh, float in as opposed to two paid staff. So you'd have a volunteer and someone else. But but what was important for us is when it comes to discipleship, I mean, I know as a mom, I get more out of a Bible study when I know that my kids are learning and growing too. So we made sure that we knew the age of the kids who would be gathering there and that we had age-appropriate activities and studies for them as well. I mean, maybe they were watching Veggie Tales because they were young and learning to sing songs. Or as they got older, I mean, one of their favorite activities was putting together um, care packages that they could hand out to people experiencing homelessness. And so mm. our kids would, you know, be engaged in mission and talking about why we need to reach out to our community. So they would look forward to this small group every week and say, why aren't we going? Let's go. I'm ready. Um, and sometimes they'd memorize Bible verses. I mean, there's a variety of things that you can do, but we would just equip all of our nursery staff with bags that had the age-appropriate activities in them so that they could take it wherever they went. And the majority of our small groups did meet in homes, right? So it was just hugely important to have that communication piece early on and be really clear about what was okay, what wasn't okay, so that everyone had a great time and was able to grow in their faith. That's wonderful that you really set the expectations, right? So that it so that people could, and that's the wonderf- wonderful thing about expectations, right, is I can, I can relax knowing what they are, yeah, right? Um, exactly. I'm not, the expectations aren't too high for me to meet. And it gives a sense that, um, that things are in order. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to pick up on a few things that you said there. First, um, just for our listeners, there is a podcast episode we did with Melanie Gordon on safe sanctuaries and small groups, so check that out. Great. Um, Rachel, you are going to be kind enough to lend us that form, Oh, sure. Yes, we will have that. Wonderful. Thank you for that. The other thing I would add, two two more things. A, you mentioned parallel learning, right? So I'm learning in my adult group. They're learning in their age-appropriate group, which becomes great connection points to talk about afterwards. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, 
we would even sometimes have sheets that we would hand out to the parents and say, listen, on the way home, here are the questions you can ask to engage them. Here's a sample prayer that you can pray at bedtime if now I lay me down to sleep isn't, you know, your go-to so that you can continue that dialogue all throughout the week and lead you into the next week when we gather. That's wonderful. And the last thing I'll say then is to then find, it doesn't have to be every week by any means, it could be once a quarter, find times for intergenerational time. Yes. Where they're incorporated into what's happening so it's not just big people over here, little people over here, that we can learn from one another, right? And to me, it's always fascinating when I do this for the adults to hear the insights of the kids, right? Because they use their imaginations a whole lot better than adults do, and they always come up with something the adults go, I never thought of that. <laughs> so find ways to do that. It doesn't have to be too onerous, too hard, too, just, just find times, yeah, well, find ways. It can be as simple as if you meet for a meal before you start talking. Obviously, yeah. everyone's all sitting together as they eat, and that can be a great time to say, tonight we're going to talk about Grace, what does that mean to you, Johnny? Yep. And, you know, yep. get insights from Kids say the darndest two. things, right? They do. Right. All right, so let's jump then. Um, one of the other uh, components I wanted to touch on, and I think this has come out a little bit in the online engagement, has been the connection between worship and small groups. One of, when I teach on small groups, one of the things I always try to emphasize is for a lot of adults, things feel very fractured in their lives. Work, family. Uh, whatever recreation they do, worship, small groups, and those are not always connected, and and they feel disconnected. And so one of the ways to bring those into alignment is to whatever's happening in worship, that theme, take that into your small group. And the hope then is not just that those are connected, but it becomes a foundation for the rest of their lives. They see the rest of their lives as living out what's happening in worship and small groups. Absolutely. Um, Ralph Moore is a guy that I met uh, through some work I did uh, with Exponential, and he has invested and poured and discipled people in such a way that I guess like 2,500 churches have are are alive and in existence because this one person decided to be in a small group experience with no more than three people at a time. Mm. But what he would do is every time they gathered, he would ask like three questions, simple. And the first one would be, you know, what was it from Sunday morning sermon that really stood out to you? And so he would know if they were in church on Sunday, right? But then how they were connecting that or still thinking about that days later. And then the next question for the group would be, why do you think God or the Holy Spirit, you know, drew you to that particular point or that particular passage of scripture? You know, what is God trying to say to you based on how you've been impacted by scripture this past week? And then the third question would be, what are you going to do about it in the next mm. 24 hours? And so that was his simple discipleship system, and it, and it was connected, you know, to worship and a, an extension of that that helped them know that they could hear God's voice in their own life and respond to that in obedience. So totally agree that the more we can connect things from Sunday morning to whenever, wherever groups are meeting throughout the community, the better. And I don't think that connection happens automatically for most folks. Right, so the more we can help them, I can imagine that playing out in a scenario where the first couple of weeks people kind of I could see blank stares. Oh, absolutely! Right, like I was supposed to continue thinking about the sermon. I don't know <laughs> what was the sermon on. Everyone's pulling out their phone, right, trying or, to go to the website or, or something, <laughs> right? And so, but then over time, you're forming people to be. They know they're going to have to answer those questions, and so now they're beginning to think about it past Sunday into Monday, Tuesday, whenever, so that it's it's beginning to help shape what's happening in the rest of their lives. 
Exactly. It's, it's crucial. It's wonderful. And with the folks that I mentored using that same approach, you know, we would all journal. I would give out journals the first time so that every day of the week you're just going back and reflecting on what am I praying about? What am I thinking about? What is God saying to me based on what we're learning and experiencing as a community? And we'd kind of go from there when it was time to talk. That's great. I mean, journaling is such a great activity that most people say I should do that more. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard anyone say I should do that less. <laughs> <laughs> Right, everyone's like, I should do that more, and in, in my own practice, I'm starting to do that a little more, and so it's it's been helpful. So yeah, and and I think it's one of those things where churches we can help resource, right? If we, in a sense, give them a template, here, go. Don't feel like you've got to write everything down. Don't spend, you know, thirty minutes doing this. Spend at least just two minutes. That's yes. all we're asking, right? And and those two minutes can can really go a long way to leveraging how we're thinking that day, reflecting that day, doing some sort of examine that, that um, can be a very, very helpful practice. Absolutely. So let's see what else I got on my list here. Let's, let's go to the next fun topic, okay. curriculum. Oh, yay. Awesome. <laughs> we both have thoughts. <laughs> both have thoughts. Um, and one of the, I will say this for our listeners, one of the additional uh, optional exercises is to listen to a whole podcast that Steve Manscar and I did on this idea. So we won't go too, mm-hmm. de- too deep here, um, but it is something I think we're both passionate about, the role of curriculum in a group, because too often what I, what I get asked all the time, hey, what's the best curriculum out there? What's the one curriculum I need? Or what's the one I can do next? And, and I see so much investment being placed in curriculum as if that's going to solve issues such as, I want to make sure right things are taught. Mm-hmm. Right, and and my pushback is always, the curriculum can be as orthodox as theological deep does not matter, because how your teacher presents it, exactly, <laughs> will be what's taught. Yes, yes, it's really about the leaders, and that's why, like when it came to our small groups, especially in homes, we would have one person be the host, one person be the communicator that reminded the group that they were Wonderful. meeting, and one person that was the leader, so that they could focus on what it was that, you know, they were being led to or God was calling them or the Sunday sermon was leading them to share at that time together. And so we would have regular trainings for those leaders and remind them, you know, as leaders, you need to be praying for -hmm. the people in your group and you need to be prepared not just to present information, right? You know, read off a few scriptures and then say, I'm done. Thanks. Have a great week. But how do you get people to talk about their faith in real and honest ways? And and go deeper and understand where God is in their world. So one curriculum is not going to make or break your church. It's not going to grow your church, right? As a planter, they're like, oh, what study do I need to do so that we can double our numbers by next right. year? And th- it's not the answer. There's lots of great uh, there are. Th- things right. out there we're, to We're use. not against curricula if we no. want to be real specific and technical here, right? Curriculum is a course of curricula. Yes. Right. I mean, just for the nerds in the in the audience, yeah. that's uh, that's there for you. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Scott. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's right. But um, but that's true. So, and we found, you know, when we would advertise that certain time sensitive groups, you know, we're doing a four week study or a six week study uh, on how to forgive, right? Or and Adam Hamilton. There are so many people. There are so many great things out there on a variety of topics sure. or the financial piece thing. Those are good to offer, and they can strengthen the church. But if if you think that the curriculum that you're focusing on is going to make disciples in your church. It's not going to happen. It's about the Amen. relationships and the training. Amen. Yeah, it's the training. That's the key word there, right? Is is in, invest not just in curricula. Yes. Invest in your leaders, facilitators, so that they facilitate conversation well, 
and so that they know what to look for, what the goal is, right? Too many I see, the goal is to get through the lesson. Yeah. And cover everything, and cover right? cover everything. Watching the clock. As if that's the goal, yeah. right? And the goal, as you stated, is discipleship through relationships, mm-hmm. right? And if that's the goal, and my teachers, facilitators know that, they can look for those teachable moments and go, ooh, you know what? We need to add this question because that's what this group needs at this moment is to focus on this. Yeah. Right? And forget the curricula sometimes, right? So... Absolutely. Like if someone comes into the group and they've just lost their job, right? Or their spouse just left to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I know that you're going through something, but we're on James right now. So could you open your Bible to chat? That's not helpful, <laughs> right? That's where you no pause and you yeah. pray over them. And then, you know, you talk and share and empathize. And, yeah. and that is transformative, um, more so Absolutely. than a scripture lesson could be. Although the word of God is very important, uh, we're called to live it out too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I'm with you. One of the other points you made I want to kind of pause on is roles. I think this can be really important for small groups is for people to, to take on a role. For some people, their gift in this area is hosting. Yes. Let them host. Don't make them be host and facilitator and bringer of food and co- coordinator and communicator and that's how you burn people out, right? right? So you expect them to do too much things that they're not really good at, and you don't give them a time frame, you know? So depending on what type of group it was, after you came to our worship service, even three or four times, we were like, hey, do you want to help be the communicator in this group? And we would follow that apprenticeship model that I think I read for the first time in the book Exponential by the Ferguson brothers. But, you know, we were always mentoring and shaping people. Like, all you have to do right now is help me and come alongside and, and I'll teach you how to be the communicator. And then you can do that and train someone else so that it was easy to reproduce these small groups. But again, it was based on their giftedness. And sometimes as pastors uh, or leaders in a church, we say, oh, well, you know, Susie's an elementary school teacher, so she should obviously be working with the kids or helping to shape and form that. But if that's what she does every day, maybe she does want to lead the group or wants to host and open up her home and not have to talk or teach at all. Maybe she wants some adult conversation. Yes. Yeah. So um, one of the other roles that I would highlight is the social coordinator. Right. Find ways to do things together as a group outside of scheduled group time. Let's go do something fun. And if you have someone who's appointed to do that so that it becomes intentional for the group, Uh, someone else being uh, very mission minded. Right. Finding ways for the group to serve together. Right. You know, again, that intentionality of, you know, yes, we're, we're part of our discipleship then is living this out in certain ways. How might we as a group serve together? Absolutely. And all of our small group, our life group type, um, or grace groups that were set up, uh, we would encourage everyone once a quarter to do a mission activity and once a quarter to do a social activity. Because we are really busy, things happen, but it's also life-giving to move outside of that living room and into the world to impact your community. Yeah, and then debrief about it. Yeah. You know, what was uncomfortable for you? What was, did you find yourself uneasy at any point? Did you find yourself exuberant at any point, right? So that people can debrief and think, think back, oh, yeah, you know, maybe the Spirit was working at this particular time, but I didn't recognize it, and this was challenging for me, and here's why. So, yeah, it can make great conversation just from that. Yes. So one of the last parts I want to hit is open groups versus closed groups. Ooh. And the reason I bring this up is because one of the things I hear a lot is, oh, we have so many cliques in our church, right? We do, yeah. Uh, or if I, um, yeah, so one of the things I try to tell people is there is a place for closed groups, I mean, clicks is one word for it. 
and, and sometimes that's just a misnomer, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes that does need to break up. But there is a role and a pl- very valuable place for closed groups um, because that's where we experience intimacy and trust. Yes. There's um, a book by Joe Myers called Search to Belong. And then um, I've heard and looked into some of the research by Ed Hall on proxemics. I think it was like an architect in the 1950s that literally came up with a chart and graph of why people gather and how many gather and then what comes out of it. And what he found is, you know, in groups of one to four, that's where you experience the most intimacy and transformation and openness. And Mm. so I know in my context, you know, just was there 10 years, but we, our closed groups were our accountability groups and that was that deepest tier. And so I would email out, you know, seven to nine folks and say, I'm inviting you to enter into this. Three to four would say yes, right? Because it's a big commitment to gather every week for a minimum of three months. But it was, you know, closed invite only to that group. And then those three or four that would meet, um, they they weren't inviting or bringing their friends because Mm -hmm. if you really want to be vulnerable and really want to share where God is at work in great ways and then where there's pain and struggle, you don't want to do that with a different group of people every week, right? Or a group of 25 people. You could have that vulnerability (laughs) hangover that Brene Brown talks about. So closed groups are really important. Um, But if that's all you have, then that's a problem. We had lots of open groups as well that were advertised. But there are certain times and seasons where it all depends on what you're trying to get out of the group. But if you want people to deeply connect um, with God, with others, and then with themselves, the smaller the group uh, and a closed group is is really important, in my opinion. And and those accountability groups, when it stayed closed forever, some some of them, they really gelled and they tried other groups. But sure. there was a guy's group that met at IHOP at like 7 a.m. every Tuesday morning, and they're still doing it like four mm. or five years later. But some of the other groups at that three-month point would say, well, we kind of want to break up and try to mentor yeah. and model this for others. Yep. Um and that's fine, too. And I, you name a really important point there, and that is even with these closed groups that are small groups, small, small groups, if that's a word, right, um, <laughs> to, to find some time where you said, we're going to do this for this period of time, three months, half a year, a year, whatever, and then reevaluate it. So you can give people an out, and so they know their expectation, right? If they think this is forever, somebody, no, I'm done, will you do this for three months? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then they realized they love it. Like one group of women that had never done accountability, we met, they loved it. It was so life-giving. But at the end of three months, you know, the kids had sports again, things happened. And so life got crazy. And what they said is, we can't meet every week anymore, but once a month, let's have dinner together. So as a way of maintaining those relationships, still checking in and praying for each other, texting each other. So there are ways to do it. But um, but yes, closed groups, you should never take off the table entirely. Always consider them a tool for growing people in specific ways. And find ways for them to reevaluate. Do we need to continue? Do we need to change? And it's now an end point. And in giving people the freedom to say, I need an out. Yeah. And there's no judgment in that. For this coming season of my life, I can't do this right now. Maybe again in the future, but not now. And they need that permission. Absolutely. And when people tell me no, I'm like, I'm so grateful. That's amazing. Thank you for setting boundaries because the church can be one of the most difficult places to say, it's not my time. Like I'm not called to serve in this way. And and that's awesome. It's a sign of a potential future leader when that season is right because they're healthy and balanced. So let's flip it then and talk about open groups. Okay. Right. Because, um, there, there's a need for that as well, right? We need those spaces where you named some earlier, right? Pub theology and some other 
uh, areas where we can, we're invited, more of an assimilation type of group where we're just wanting people to belong. Yes. And those groups are great because they help you find a common mission to figure out your own spiritual gifts. You know, when you're in a large group that's all going out together to clean a park, you know, then you realize, wow, I, I really benefit from this. I can help organize people or I'm better in a quiet place by myself just praying for others. So open groups are crucial and getting the word out and encouraging people. So sometimes for us, uh, we would offer incentives. So we're doing oh, a book study. But if you invite someone who's never been to church and isn't connected to a church to come along with you, both of your books are free. Oh, and cool. you would not believe how much our groups grew during that season. I would absolutely <laughs> believe it. You've been in my office. You know how much I love books. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just a reminder that we we exist not just for the people in our network, but for those outside of it yeah. that are just longing to know they have a place to belong to. So um, it's important to constantly remind your church to be reaching out, inviting other people to join in the study. And then the challenge is, as a church and leaders in a church, to cultivate the types of environments and studies that are easy to share with people so that they want to plug in. But it's possible. There are great ideas out there, and you've provided a lot of them. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, one of the other connections I'll make to what you've said is one of the, hopefully, the themes that has run throughout this Teachable session has been the importance of culture. Yes. And you you just named, here's how we're living out our culture, is we're incentivizing people and resourcing people to invite people in. Right, because that that's got to be a cultural dynamic. Otherwise, it feels even more awkward, other than the already present awkwardness. Yeah. And manipulative. <laughs> it's not like come so I can get my free book. It's come because I love you and I care about you, and you know I I want to learn alongside you. So we did like a mommy burnout group that was that way, and oh, it wow. was our largest group again at the church, right? Because there yeah. were so many children. But I think we had like twenty seven. We were expecting seven or eight women to show up, but. That was an issue, a struggle in our community, a military community where a lot of times the spouses oh, are deployed sure. for six months. Wow. It's easy to be stressed out. So, um, so again, if you teach people to reach out because of relationship, but then you push them with that motivation of getting a free book, it makes it easier to ask their friend, too, because they're not yeah. saying, well, come to this study and bring $20, $25. That can seem like a bait and switch a little bit. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, any last words of wisdom? I mean, you, you've lived this out. So any last words of wisdom that you would offer for those doing small group ministry? And I, mean, I think you've done a good job of providing uh, different levels, different models, different ideas. Any other wisdom you'd pass on to those who are doing this in their church, whether they're a pastor or a layperson? Um, yeah, I would say um, just two quick last tips um, for follow-up. And that is if someone comes to a small group for the first time, one of these open groups, um, and it's their first time ever in a small group, it is so important to reach out to them and to thank them for coming, yeah. to see how they felt about it, because um, it just adds that personal element to show that you, again, care about relationships, about them, and um, can be helpful in getting them to come back a second time, because it can be so overwhelming and frightening to walk into that new space with people that you haven't connected with before. Um, and then also, we would always evaluate as a church um, how discipleship was going in each season. And so we would do a lot of surveys at the end for those that attended and those that led to, we need to do this again. Did you like it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What should be our next step so that you're constantly getting that feedback and information to change and adapt as a, just because you always do this particular study on this night of the week every year does not mean it has to always stay that way. So right. be open to change for greater impact. So assess. 
Yes. The A in rat. There. I'm doing my job, man. Am I getting paid for this? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Of course you are. In, in ping gratitude. pong lessons and, and gratitude. Yeah. I don't, if you guys have never seen Scott play ping pong, like our whole office now, we have competitions on Fridays and I know how to play ping pong because uh, the Jedi beside me taught me how to do it. <laughs> Jedi. I like, the, I like the Star Wars reference. You get yeah. bonus points for that. Is that good? So are you a Twitter person? I am. So where can people follow you on Twitter? Oh, well, I'm on Twitter, but I, I, I'm not going to. That's my personal. Oh, fine. Never mind. For freedom. No, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair but enough. I do have a podcast as well. Yes. Please, um, please that promote that. Anyone that's... can follow. <laughs> it's our Path One podcast called Field Preachers. And it's um, stories of church planters all around the U.S. in Methodist churches um, just sharing about their experience. So it's awesome. It just launched in October. I'm so excited about the amazing folks that have contributed already. So please check us out on Field Preachers. We at Path One does have Facebook and Instagram, so you can find us there. Mm -hmm. Just type in Path One UMC. Uh, and we have some closed groups too. Hey, speaking oh. of open versus closed, jurisdictionally to connect with folks uh, in your region. So reach out, email me if you have any questions or want to connect in any way or learn more about church planting specifically yeah. um, at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. There you go. And I've listened to that podcast. I can recommend it as well. Aww, right? I've listened to it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> of course, you get to hear more of the energetic Rachel Gilmore. So Yay. that's good. So, so I hope this uh, teachable course has been helpful to you. I hope you'll continue to go back and engage on the online platform as we share our successes, our challenges. And, and I appreciate how you've shared your wisdom already and others are learning through you. So I appreciate your engagement there. So you can find more information about us on our website, umcdiscipleship.org, with a host of different ministry resources. Shoot us an email with your comments. You can find my email is shughes at umcdiscipleship.org. You can find me on Twitter at Rev Scott's Tweets, also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.